Good evening, baseball fans. It is time once again to run the bases. I'm Tucker Wells, joined as always by Coach Jordan Bounds. Coach, first off, thanks for doing the show tonight, knowing that you're for the second year in a row a nomad. Yeah, I know. I don't I don't even want to talk about it. Well, we're we're always thankful that you're here willing to do this show under under duress at this moment. Um so uh for the 2015 season, we will have a new commissioner, Mr. Rob Manfeld, is that right? Uh, Manfred, is it Manfred? Manfred. Manfred. Yeah. So yeah. Apologies to Manfred. Um, and he kind of came in with a splash with these uh, pace of play rule changes. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, overall, how do you feel about uh, the rule changes for the pace of play? And we can actually let's start with uh, the the first one. Managers must challenge replays from the dugout. They can no longer come out and talk to the umpires to stall. They have to challenge from the dugout. How do you feel about this one? Fine. Uh, I don't believe that anybody goes to a baseball game or turns it on uh, the tube to see a manager. Uh, I don't think uh, we like to see Joe Torrey saunter out to the uh, the mound to replace a pitcher uh, and, and take as much time as possible. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, the uh, if they if they can if that's a speed up thing, nobody wants to see a manager. Yeah, Casey Stingle is dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, apparently there it's it, they have between they're going to try and government that's going to be. The, the, at the most 30 seconds to challenge a play. So my question is if they come out just to argue, is that make it so that they can no longer challenge? No, no. I mean, they're, they're going to keep working on the replay rules and the challenge rules and stuff like that. And, and that's uh, that they're willing to work on that is a step in the right direction. Uh, Baseball has long been, you know, like we're not going to change any rules. Uh, you know, it would uh, uh, scrape the skin off the ball. Uh, right. Yet, uh, whereas football has been very successful changing rules in the middle of the season because uh, this will benefit ba- or benefit television more. Uh, I hate to say but baseball could learn something from football in that regards. Right. Um, and I, so that they're willing to just uh, teeter with this and uh, tinker with it a little bit. I'm, I'm fine. You know, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, games, the, the average length of a game has uh, gone from two hours, 20 minutes, I think in, in the early eighties to now they average three hours plus. So I am then also in favor of uh, um, of of these changes, and I, I think though that this manager's one is going to be the hardest one to uphold. Um, you know, I, I think a man. You know, I I don't know. I think managers. You're right. We don't come to see them, but they have a crafty strategy in mind. So they'll figure out other ways to stall in order to get calls to go their way. Oh, I. I- I'm sure they will. Um, and with all of these, it's just a question of how are they going to be upheld? Like, how are they going to be enforced by the umpires? Um, but in speaking of the length for television, uh, second one, uh, apparently we're going to be uh, they're going to be rigorously timed breaks coming uh, 
going in and coming out of commercials, pitching changes, and between batters. Uh, the pitcher only gets 30 seconds to throw his eight warm-up pitches, and if he doesn't complete it, he forfeits it. What do you think about that? I think that um, I think that's good. I, I believe that um, baseball has – I mean, we now have – we see all sorts of things on big screen televisions where cars race around each other. And then we see on the field presidents and different uh, utensils and things uh, having races. The Home stuff. Depot tool yeah. race, man. Right. Uh, trying to occupy time. Uh, and uh, as we saunter between innings and uh, and that's all wrong. Uh, that is, you know, again, I'm not uh, going to a baseball game to see a sausage uh, beat out a <laughs> kielbasa. You know, yeah, a kielbasa <laughs> in a, a, a race that's already fixed before. You know, give me a break. Well, for the uh, record, I am my. I'm a big fan of the bucket in the tool race. Yeah, just well, okay, good for you. But <laughs> I'm uh, always I would just soon see that uh, go by the way. Uh, I, uh, but that's not the main reason that games are an hour longer than they used to be is the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry uh, in the 90s where they tried to extend the starting pitcher, get him out of the game early enough to where they could get to the bullpens. And with everybody taking pitches and going deep into the count and then having relief pitchers come in and having uh, one relief pitcher after the other. Uh, And, I mean, I I don't know what the number is, but uh, the number of pitchers in a game uh, today versus the number of pitchers in a game 10 years ago is exorbitantly higher. Uh, And that's where the time uh, comes in. The most innovative thought I've heard, and I heard it from John Smoltz first. It may be, it probably originated from somebody else, but have a pitcher come in and he's got to face three hitters uh, and not have somebody who comes in and faces one hitter, uh, faces the left-hander, and then uh, bring a right-hander to face the next right-hander, and then another left-hander to face the next left-hander. Uh, all of that, that's where the time takes in. If uh, what I, I'm, I'm not so much, you know, I love the game. I don't want to change it that much, but it has changed in the negative in that respect that we have – so many pitchers in a game, and that's where the time takes place, not in batters stepping out of the box. Now, I, I agree that having these Nomar kind of guys come out and you've got to, like, uh, tighten every wristband three times and all that sort of stuff, that, you know, that's a little absurd. Well, that's the, that's the third one is that now the batters have to maintain one foot in the batter's box um, unless – uh, time is called. There's a foul. There's a foul ball. Foul tip. Um, or they swung at the pitch, or like fifty other things. I mean, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. I mean, but it's interesting. Right. It's interesting that uh, you know the, the Red Sox and the Yankees, who have ruined everything, honestly. But it is two Red Sox, Nomar, and then later Big Poppy that 
that yeah they just they're their in-between pitch adjustment of batting gloves and tapping helmets and uh you could even throw Manny Ramirez in that they're just the worst they are the absolute worst and then when they had Josh Beckett you know the longest pitcher uh in between pitches excruciating there but I I don't think that's the I mean I, I do believe that the Yankee Red Sox games that really kind of averaged like four and a half hours a game. Yeah, uh, I remember that. It was they averaged at least like three hours forty five minutes. But and, at any rate, uh, the uh, but so much of that. I mean, it was Tory was right. Get to their the back of their bullpen as soon as you can. Uh, the uh, I mean, it was a. You can't fault him for doing this. It helped his team win. But it extended the game an exorbitantly an exorbitant length of time. Yeah. Well, I suffered through many a Cardinal game living in St. Louis for four years. Oh, yeah. LaRusso La La was right there. Uh, he'd make <laughs> three and four pitching changes in a single half inning. Uh, I, know. I mean, it was just painful. Um, one of the 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 pieces of the uh, – coming in and out of commercial breaks and, you know, having the pitcher deliver the ball within, I think it's 40 seconds of when the next uh, hitter is announced. Um, <laughs> they get 10 second warm up music. And so on. there's all these, these, these marks that they're trying to hit. There is going to be a clock on the jumbotrons to keep time of these things. And that, you know, opens the door for having an actual pitch clock. How do you feel about having a pitch clock? I don't think the pitch clock is nearly as would be nearly as significant as a strike zone that uh, was that enabled pitchers to throw strikes. The reason that the games are longer is that batters are going deeper in the count all the time. Uh, I mean, trying to get to uh, relief pitchers. Warren Spahn pitched regularly, complete games at 75 pitches. Uh, was he that much better than everybody else? Um, the uh, No, he threw strikes, strikes that were called at that time. You and I were spoiled. We had uh, in the last – we had a decade – of the two pitchers, Glavin and uh, Maddox, who threw the most strikes of anybody, and they threw strikes to be hit. They weren't trying. I mean, this whole thing now in uh, sabermetrics of how many pitches are missed. Uh, no, give me a ground ball to second base. You know, I'll take that anytime over a strike. Uh, you know, and. Uh, do that on the first pitch rather than on, on the seventh pitch, you know, uh, and that speeds up the game. All kinds of times where Maddox and Glavin had, you know, uh, games that would last two hours and ten minutes and stuff, and this was, uh, it was beautiful. It was, yeah. and that's that's the way baseball is meant to be played, uh, not to sit and watch pitch after pitch, waiting for the umpire to decide whether this was actually waist high or chest high. No, throw, call, have the umpires call strikes, and 
batters will swing at pitches, and we won't have all of the stalling going. For, oh, I, I just. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I really believe with a lot of what the pundits out there have said that these rule changes are going to, you know, most likely will be minimal at first. Uh, I think they said that the result in the because these were all tested in the Arizona Fall League uh, this past fall and that they're going to be implemented in double A and triple A, but they shaved off about 10 minutes, um, which in the overall scheme of things is not a whole lot, but it's definitely a move in the right direction. The batters keeping a foot in the box, though, I'm such a huge fan of this being enforced. And as far as enforcement goes, it's going to be warnings and fines at first, like $500 a pop, essentially a speeding ticket to most major league players. Um, Begs the question, should it be, you know, adding a a ball if a pitcher stalls for too long or adding a strike if a hitter? Oh, no, no. I don't want to see that. You do not want to see balls and strikes. Uh, I I don't want to see a change in the performance on the field. Fines, I'm okay with. I don't think this is that significant. I, I, I mean, you're saying 10 minutes. Eh, that's not 10 minutes. It's not the thing. Well, no, throwing I mean, strikes. That's that's the thing. Having people swing at pitches, having people, having players not sit and work counts. Uh, the um, I mean, if you the number of pitches thrown in a game is almost 50 percent more than it was 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That, that's that's and, and then how many times do you see managers saunter out to the field to bring in their left-handed specialists, only to be followed by a right-handed specialist, then to be followed by their uh, end of the, that's where the time is. Yeah, agreed. And uh, you know, I, I think that it, it's interesting. It's been in the rule book. This is you can find this in the rule book, and it's been in there for a long time. I don't know, at least. Yeah, but you you told me is this sixty point two isn't that the rule? I think it is. <laughs> you know the actual number. That's impressive. Although I would have expected nothing less. I don't. I, I'm not certain, but it's uh, twelve seconds. Um, a, a pitcher is to deliver the ball to the plate within twelve seconds if there are no runners on base, and within twenty seconds if there are runners on base. So again, my question: Do you see umpires being able to enforce this? Uh, smoothly, I guess. Smoothly? No. Do I think umpires <laughs> can enforce this? Uh, yes, they can, but I think they should enforce a unified strike zone by the record more than anything. I really I, I believe that a strike zone, the way it is defined in, this, in the uh, rule, in all the rules and everything, between the letters and the needs, that would uh, increase or would decrease the time of games uh, so much more than any other rule. Well, let's let's continue with that. So the strike zone is your biggest thing. If you were a, a commissioner, what other changes would you be making? Or what other changes do you hope that the commissioner uh, right now, Mr. Manfred, does? Right now? Oh, I, there, there's so many. Uh, although, as much as I love baseball, I, I, I don't like – whole lot of changes. And now I will say this, uh, Bud Selig made changes and I was always kind of against them at first and then realized, eh, yeah, it's probably a pretty good idea. Uh, I mean, right. uh, and the, uh, so 
uh, as a traditionalist, I'm basically against change. As I said, I, I really like the idea of John Smoltz's idea of having a pitcher has to come out. If you bring in a relief pitcher, he's got to face three batters. Yeah, but uh, what if he gets, like, torched? You well, know, he, he's not going to get torched in two batters. <laughs> you know, it's going to take three batters for him to be yeah, torched. Yeah, but, you know, if you got – Let's say it's okay. It's, it's it's home run, home run. Let him face the third one. You know. <laughs> well, let's say you've got second and third, and or first and second, and less than two outs, and he's trying to get two outs, and he walks the first guy, and then he walks the second guy, and so he's already walked in a run. Then he and the better throw so- <laughs> strikes in the third guy. That's what he better do. Uh, a, I'm not all right. I'm as not a fan, saying. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like that. I'm gonna be asking for the that, hook. That's a. Uh, that's an extreme rule. I, I will recognize yeah. that. What I would like to see the new commissioner do more than anything, a couple of things. I wish all weekend games uh, had to start before six o'clock. Have one game a year. I mean, one game uh, on Saturday, one game on Sunday. You can do this for your ESPN uh, yep. uh, connections and everything. Uh, be the like the Saturday night game or the Sunday night game. Uh, but all other games had to start before six o'clock. Let's let kids go to games. I think it's yep. a pretty good idea. I think that should be where you every major league team has to have three home games uh, a week start before six o'clock before six o'clock it could be five fifty nine uh but so you could have uh your 12 year old kid who's got to go to school uh go to a game yeah uh, and i'm and then in the summer uh they should try to extend that there hasn't i mean in ball teams that have uh the your working man specials and things like that, they usually draw fairly well. It's just an advertising thing. Now, I realize television is where all of the revenue and everything comes in. Uh, It's not so much on uh, gate attendance. Uh, But to uh, perpetuate a, uh, a living and growing fan base, you need to have younger fans, and yeah. you're not going to have younger fans. I mean, That's baseball <laughs> is centered around father and son relationships and all of this sort of stuff, and you can't do it if the game ends at 12.30 at night. Uh, when you're, when you're Or son, even 11.30, and then you have to drive you know, sure, an hour sure, home. So. Right, uh, absolutely. Um and I'm with you on that, and the Indians are doing that this year. Oh, and, and I love it. I love yeah. it, uh, what the Indians are doing. Uh, I, I hope other teams uh, recognize this. And even if their attendance goes down, I think it will profit them in the long run. Yeah. Um, all right, another thing I would like to see the new commissioner do is uh, reach out to amateur baseball more. The connection between Major League Baseball and amateur baseball has been almost nil. Uh, and the you saw this recently. What a wonderful, uh, warm story it was to see the Jackie Robinson team in Chicago uh, 
become the national champions. And uh, the Little League World Series this year just kicked butt. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, and uh, not only, you know, the uh, Davis situation, but the, the, um, uh, the, uh, the thing in Chicago. But, and then Chicago gets, uh, you know, they're disqualified because they took some people from outside of their district. Well, that stuff happens all the time. Uh, in amateur baseball. If Major League Baseball had more of a hand in what was going on, that stuff wouldn't happen as much. Uh, right. Make them use wooden bats. Uh, quit using all the, you know, uh, I mean, there is no Major League Scout that would disagree with that. You know, uh, yeah. the, um, and, and I can tell you personally, uh, the feel of a ball being hit off a wooden bat is so superior to any feel that you'll ever have of a ball being hit off a metal bat. It uh, is a it is a divine science because if you hit a ball right at the sweet spot, you don't even feel it. Yeah, you know, it, it yeah. is a beautiful thing. Uh, I'm trying to be somewhat clean here but it is uh, <laughs> it, it is almost sexual. That's uh, fine. That's you're you're cool there. Um, I wish to see the same. I would love to see. You know, that's where um, it's the age-old argument about sports is that it starts with the youth, seeing as how it is a kid's why, game. But. Why? I mean, the RBI program, which was sponsored pretty much by our hometown hero, uh, why that? Ha- why Major League Baseball has not put more into that? To me, is sinful. It is sinful. I mean, Major League Baseball has a lot of money. Where does all this money get when they have fines? Uh, where does that money go? Why shouldn't it go into amateur baseball? When you get fined for doing something, why shouldn't that go into the RBI program? Yeah, agreed. It should be beyond just, you know, uh, ex-players um, who are making charitable donations. Yeah, it should come straight from the organization itself. I agree. I Absolutely. Yeah, um, I'll throw in my my suggestions here. Some changes I would like to see going along with the earlier start times, just during the regular season. I think in the postseason, I don't think a first pitch should come any later than about eight o'clock. Uh, you know, I understand that you're, you're eight gonna, o'clock. You're gonna be eight hard, o'clock. Well, you're gonna be hard pressed to, to convince. Well, let, let no, I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase that. In the World Series, because obviously. Um, during the uh, during the the stretch of the postseason, you have day games, so and that's all well and good. But you have World Series games where the first pitch isn't being delivered until almost nine o'clock, and I think that that is ridiculous. I don't know in, how you could get it earlier. Living than eight, in Atlanta in 1962, I believe it was with the Yankees versus the Giants. I was. Uh, school was let out early so I could go home and watch the World Series. Uh, I'm, I'm in Atlanta to watch the Giants play the Yankees, and I, I, I ran home from school to watch Willie McCovey line drive, uh, hit a line drive into Bobby Richardson's glove that ended the game. I, I was like, wonderful. I was like, I, I, I was like, that's what it's all about. Well, I agree. I mean, they need to have day games in the World Series. I'm, I'm saying the latest, 
that's that's my point is that the latest you know because they're unfortunately we've lost that battle you know we gotta we gotta surrender to the fact that baseball is not culturally significant enough that they're gonna let people out of school to watch it um i'm in favor of you know kids just skipping school to watch it um but you know when when we're dancing with this devil of it being owned by beer advertisements when it's in the postseason at least make it where the start times aren't any later than like eight o'clock you know all right i agree with i I, i'm a traditionalist as well i stand on that fence i guess but i don't think (laughs) i don't think you're gonna see give me another one of your things all right well 154 game season i think we should go back to that i think that 162 just feels almost too long um and then uh something that you've said and i could not agree with more we need to bring back day night double headers you know, I, I mean, if you're going to keep 162 game season, then why not, you know, condense it by doing day night double headers? Let's play two. Uh, um, I don't agree so much with the day night double headers. I agree with just regular double headers. Uh, well, there the, you go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a day night double header, the, you know, where you're charging uh, a person twice to go to the game. That's, yeah see that well i'm i'm, uh, I'm labeling it wrong i I'm, i meant double header double headers i uh, mean you know i mean that that used to be all you know all your july 4th games were always double headers you know and things like this this was a traditional thing that that's part of what baseball was it was uh seeing stan usual hit five home runs in a, a <laughs> game you know yeah you know, uh yes i i agree with you there uh wholeheartedly uh, those games also started like at 12 o'clock, uh, you know, in the afternoon or at noon. Uh, so they could be over. You would go to a, a double header and it would be over by uh, 7 o'clock. You would have seen two games. I love it. Um, I'm also in favor of the flex scheduling of the World Series. This past year, it was, I think, a five day layoff, <laughs> layoff between the end of the LCS and the World Series. Why is it that we can't suddenly, if both LCSs are four-game sweeps, let's move the World Series up? Is that not possible? Oh, I, I totally agree with you there. Uh, right. The uh, uh, we shouldn't have all the uh, of these ungodly breaks between things. I th- also think, in terms of scheduling, I think uh, that is a a problem in baseball now, where you have um we need to have a uh an equal schedule uh as much as we can uh the uh we should play everybody should play everybody the same amount of times uh you know uh, the i agree is, with this yeah uh there are too many teams that have uh a disadvantage because they play uh, team A or Team B too many times. And you can't say before the season starts who Teams A and B are, although we have a pretty good idea. Uh, the uh, It should be uh, a equal schedule uh, throughout. That was a C-League thing. I, I looked that up. He, he, it, it, it's, it's not that the schedule – the schedule would always be – skewed towards playing teams in your division more but it was under c-league that it was super imbalanced suddenly you're playing 
you know, your division well, 19 be, times. Uh, part of that was the interleague stuff that which yeah. brought that about. And which uh, at first I was against, but uh, see, I mean, you know, it seems to be a positive thing in baseball. And yeah. that's difficult when you have, when you're trying to get rivalries, you know, like with the Cubs playing the White Sox and the Yankees playing the Mets and that sort of thing. Right. But I do, I, I mean, the, a more balanced scheduling would would allow for um, yesteryear rivalries to be reborn. I mean, I think the Braves should see – we should be able to see the Dodgers more than one series a year and the Pirates and the Reds. And uh, so I'm, I'm in full agreement of that. Scheduling is something that needs to be looked into. It's not correct right now the way it's being done. No, and, I mean, when it gets to the postseason, there's no reason why baseball should be – have games tabbed to be played in November. Uh, literally, you know, they, if if it goes seven games, they're expecting to play in November. All all baseball should be scheduled to end in October. That is a traditionalist stance that I have. Well, what else? What else you got? Uh, I think. Well, I thought we were going with your uh, things, but I think uh, one of the problems with baseball is the non guaranteed contracts. Uh, I think. Uh, that if the non-guaranteed contracts, we don't have any, uh, they're guaranteed the, uh, contracts. The lack of the lack yeah, thereof. Right. Uh, gotcha. and I think there could be, uh, you could make some sort of a, I mean, and that cripples certain teams, uh, when you get into that, uh, situation, I think, uh, and, and I don't think it should go to where football is because that makes players non-entities, but I think you could have, Contracts that are like 70-30 guaranteed versus non-guaranteed, uh, that sort of stuff. I think that needs to be looked into. Um, I you- think one of the biggest problems, uh, I don't believe that baseball would benefit. I mean, and all statistics indicate this, that baseball would not benefit by a salary cap. But I certainly think that baseball would benefit from a salary basement. Uh, if you are in a, a certain position, you have to spend this uh, X amount of money uh, t- in order to retain your franchise. Yeah, uh, something relative to... If you're getting money from uh, because other teams are going over a, a certain cap, then you need to be spending X amount of money to maintain your team as well. I agree. Would you uh, be uh, in favor of, uh, as in the NBA, max number of years on a contract, start eliminating the 10-year deals and make it so that the longest contract you could sign would be you know, five, six, seven years, something like that? Um, without really studying this, I think so, yes. I um, would be I, – I would support it, and I, I think – you could you could dress it up in such a way that it's like the 10 and 5 rule that if it's you know uh if it's a free agent signing with a new team the max deal would be let's say 6 years but if he's signing with his current team um you can go longer you can put more years on it and maybe that would create a better incentive for some of this talent to stay with the team that brought him up well yeah i think that uh i think that's Something that should be looked into. I agree. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you Support. another thing. I think 
there should be some sort of investigation into stadium food. Uh, as my, <laughs> yeah. I know, I mean, like, uh, I know what it was like with Atlanta Fulton County Stadium uh, and what the changes, how great they were when Sherholtz became the GM and how he changed things. Well, it is uh, like Atlanta Fulton County Stadium in other ballparks now. I mean, not, not a whole lot of them, but that shouldn't happen. You should have nutritious uh, alternatives uh, at these other ballparks and stuff. I, you know, I, I think stadium food uh, is abysmal in certain places. Yeah, and it's, it's a sign of evolution that they need to get on board with because you got to appeal to a wider range of fans if you want to stay relevant. Um, if you want higher attendance numbers and, you know, we live in a day and age of, you know, nutrition overlord, uh, overload people who are so particular about their diets and so on and so forth that, yeah, I would have to agree with that. I think that major league baseball needs to embrace this, uh, kind of, um, technological evolution that exists in sports. Baseball is... The whereas it began, it was like the beginning of all of your, uh, your your first kind of gambling type things where you had these uh, you know, fantasy teams and stuff like this. Uh, now it is it's so far behind what football and basketball does. Well, why uh, go ahead and make it a forefront in what uh, baseball does. Put the cyber metrics and stuff uh, on the, you know, the, the, the big scoreboard. Let them see what, uh, you know, what's happening uh, out there, how people are benefiting, or uh, you know, make the fantasy team a part of the experience when you go to the game. Right. Well, it would appear as though um – uh, we're going to start, we're going to talk about just the, 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 the commissioners throughout the years in baseball of which, uh, Manfred's the 10th. And, um, it would appear as though his tenure is going to be marked by how he modernizes the game in that sense that you just said and making it more technologically relevant or, uh, is that the right one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, relevant in, uh, the social media age. So looking back, um, the very first commissioner, uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, I thought that this was interesting in uh, researching that um, he was, you know, for the Black Sox scandal, they, he was appointed after that to clean up the gambling problem. But were it not for him, it, it was actually that the uh, American League or, was about to fold. I did not realize this, that the National League had, in, after the 1919 World Series, the National League had invited the White Sox, Red Sox, and the Yankees to join the National League and the American League would have pretty much gone away. Um, uh, no, that wasn't going to happen. That that you're right that they were invited, but uh, Bud Johnson was not going to allow that to happen. The uh, commissioner of the American League at that time, uh, Landis uh, was. They brought him in for the stability and this kind of 
righteousness that he would represent after uh, the Black Sox scandal. But, uh, you know, in 1922, I mean, two years after he's there, he suspended Babe Ruth. Uh, he suspended Babe Ruth uh, and Bob Musial uh, in 22 for like 54 games or something for barnstorming. Uh, the Judge Landis was a racist, egotistical, uh, old Dixiecrat uh, who kept black people out of baseball forever. Uh, you know, yep. I mean, I, I can't, I, you know, there is very little good that you can say about Judge Kennesaw Landis. Yeah, it, the first four commissioners, you could argue, have less good than uh, than ill. Well, yeah. I don't know, Happy Chandler lets black players in. That, well, yeah, that's, you're right, you're right. I over I overstated that. But with Landis, who has the longest tenure, you know, and if he hadn't died while in office, he would have gone on probably longer. Um, but he fought against the farm system. No, oh, I know. Yeah, I mean, there. I, I can't think of anything that Landis did, that except maybe bring this kind of respectability to baseball and kind of your ultra conservative, gun toting, uh, <laughs> kind of environment. Uh, Ford Frick. Oh my goodness, he's the one that puts the asterisks beside Roger Maris's uh, sixty-one home runs. Yep. Uh, you know. Uh, your fourth one, uh, the uh, uh, General Eckert, uh, the one um, he great br- nickname by the way for, for the unknown soldier. Well, he does uh, try to bring in an international complex, and he was the one that kind of let uh, you know uh, allowed uh, major league ball players to barnstorm in Japan and tried to, you know, bring all this stuff in. Uh, However, uh, he kind of uh, laid the platform for Bowie Kuhn, who's next, who has all of this, uh, the conflict, the, and I don't know how much of it was Bowie Kuhn stuff. I want to say it's all his fault, but uh, the, the, the problems between the labor problems between players and owners. And it was whatnot. the end of the uh, reserve clause. Right. Uh, Bowie Kuhn is uh, what I will always think of Bowie Kuhn the most is he's the person that said that Hank Aaron couldn't play the second game in Cincinnati in 74 and had to play so he would hit uh, 715 in Atlanta. Uh, and I, uh, which I'm glad I was there, you know, one of uh, the, uh, seminal, seminal moments of my life. But, uh, but still, uh, you can't say that, no, our best player has to sit this game. So he has the opportunity to hit the, you know, his seminal home run in Atlanta. That's ridiculous. Well, his, uh, his tenure, which was 69 to 84, um, is kind of marked by what is in the best interest of baseball. Um, that's why he suspended heavy. He suspended heavily for drug use and gambling, um, and uh, he wanted um, gain any any achieved gains in attendance and ratings. 
Um, sure he did. Pioneered uh, the first night game in World Series in, in, in 71. It was the first night game in the World Series, and it had uh, 61 million viewers. So, But, well, yeah, he was always I mean, thinking in terms of the quote-unquote best interest of the game. Bowie Kuhn, uh, during his tenure, increased uh, from 23 million fans to 45.5 million. Uh, but that was more due to night baseball than it was to Bowie Kuhn. Uh, Bowie Kuhn didn't do it. It was that suddenly you could go home at night and watch baseball on television. That yeah. was it. You know, it, it was skewed him. more towards offense in that. I, and know, he comes in right after they lower the mound. Right, and, and you you have the uh, you you've also increased from twenty to twenty six teams during his tenure. Uh, that you know. Uh, I'm not a big Bowie Coon fan. I'm more a Peter Uberoff fan who comes next than I am to Bowie Coon. And Peter Uberoff doesn't get the get the credit that he should get. Really, he's no. uh he, he got he got sued for collusion. Yes, he did. Uh, but he's also the one that signed the tremendous contracts with CBS, a 1.1 billion contract with CBS, and I, I think it was like five million with. ESPN and all this stuff. He's the one that makes baseball a major uh, commodity, uh, yeah, and it was profitable uh, for the first time in and not only in that, decades. He's the one that made Bart Giamatti follow him. Bart Giamatti would have been the greatest of all commissioners had he lived, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, sadly the shortest tenure. It, it was no but, fault of his own, but it was Peter Uberoth that really. Uh, championed uh, Giamatti following him. Yeah, and, and and infamously or famously known for setting the lifetime ban on Pete Rose, um, which is nothing when you consider what you know Judge Landis did. He has a lifetime ban not only against the nine Black Sox but about like twenty different people. You know, right uh, now Pete Rose. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's uh, Bart Giamatti did this, but what that is. Bart Giamatti was what baseball has always he is the he was a a Yale professor whose emphasis was Renaissance literature and he wrote voluminously about baseball connecting it with the romanticism of of uh, of the Renaissance you don't get any better than that. You know, that's what you want. Right. You know, uh, there was, uh, before uh, Ford Frick was elected, uh, there was a real debate whether you want a baseball man or whether you want a businessman. Uh, well, Bart Giamatti, he ran Yale. You know, that that is a business. Uh but he was such a baseball man and such a romantic. He he encompassed all of that. He just died too soon. Yeah, and I think that the history shows that it, it was always better to have a baseball man. Uh, was it Eckert was uh, strictly a businessman. He had not seen a game in 10 years, which is why he gets the nickname the Unknown Soldier. And sure enough, after only three years, he's forced to resign. Right. right. And then uh, Bowie Kuhn suspended Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays from <laughs> from the game in the 70s, which uh, Huberoth— uh, Bowie Kuhn was all about Bowie Kuhn. 
yeah, he didn't have the best interest really in mind for the game. Um, I, you know, happy Chandler going back real quick. Um, in addition to integration, which I didn't know this either, but in, uh, in January of 47, the owners voted for 15 to one against integration. Oh, and he still went ahead and said, yeah, you know, if you could play, if you could fight for our country, you can play baseball for our country. Yep. And it's almost tragic. In addition to that, he established the first pension fund. Uh, for the players, he was known as the players' commissioner, and he was never reelected. And, and for the most part, it was due to it's widely held that it was due to the fact that he was in favor of integration, and the rest were not. Well. So, yeah, Giamatti, um, he was uh, he was also a big proponent in his one year as commissioner. He was the NL president for many years before that, um, but uh, championed improvement for the fans' environment at ballparks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is. Of course, essential. Then you have Faye Vincent. Your thoughts on the Faye Vincent era? Um, Faye Vincent, I always remember as this kind of stoic guy with a big head and a crew cut. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and it seemed like Faye Vincent was always fighting with Marvin Miller and losing. Uh, that uh, Faye Vincent... Uh, his whole tenure seems to be marked by uh, strife with the players' union and losing. Uh, that's what I remember about Faye Vincent. Yeah, um, he did. Uh, he did expel George Steinbrenner, though. I think well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> and yeah. the Yankees should Yankee fans all over should thank Vincent for that because that allowed the Yankees to get good again. So yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, the uh, but I, I think any of the uh, former eight commissioners would have done the same thing. True. And actually, it's ironic here. He uh, he permanently suspended Steve Howell, and <laughs> that was his ultimate undoing. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so now looking at Seelig, who just retired, um, you know, we're talking about how commissioners, their their terms are going to be marked by one essential thing. What do, you, what do you think is the one thing that, you know, if you had to write the obituary, the, the, the one-line obituary on Seelig, what's the thing that comes to mind? Well, I mean, there are so many things, the interleague play, wild cards, uh, things of this that originally I was generally against, but, uh, but he proved me wrong. I, uh, the, um, I always thought Bud Selig was a used car salesman that was going to be pulling for the brewers. Uh, but I was wrong. Uh, well, certainly it was an owner's, uh, Commissioner, seeing as how he was an owner for the ma- the majority of his tenure, all of them are. They all have worked for the owners. The thing right. that uh, the only one that may have been close to a player's commissioner was Happy Chandler, and that's a long time ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago, um, nineteen fifty one to be exact. Um, well, that's he, when he ended. Yeah, we're missing the big thing here on Seelig, though, is the steroid era. You know, he kind of is the the keeper of the steroid era. Uh, I I mean, how do you, looking back on that now, how do you view him? I mean, at the time, you know, 2003, 2004, 
What did we I, think I, of Selig and his as constant the steroid era? I blame more on. Uh, sure, everybody holds a little bit of blame in that, but I, I think the major blame exists with uh, the announcers and the uh, the. the the public for not recognizing that these superhuman bodies, these uh, these people look, that look like uh, superheroes, uh, you know that something was wrong here. Uh, it wasn't just Selig; uh, it was everybody. Uh, and I, you know, as much as I would like to say that it's all Selig's fault. It's not. It's you know. It's as much as uh, when the who was who was the the day by day announcer wasn't it um, Anderson who was uh, when Brady Anderson uh, comes across in Baltimore and suddenly starts hits fifty home runs after you know the most he's hit is thirteen in his career and. Uh, somebody doesn't recognize, wait a minute, Brady doesn't look the same as he used to look. Uh, right. Uh, the, uh, that's not Selig's fault as much as it is everybody that was involved with the Orioles at the time. And I'm just picking on Brady Anderson. There were so many Sosa, you know, being as uh, obvious as anybody. Right. Uh, you know, the... But you do have, you know, Selig being, you know, skewered for those few years there as all this is coming out about just who was juicing and, and to what extent. And you look at like what's happening in the NFL right now with Roger Goodell and everybody clamoring for his head, uh, given with what's happening with the domestic violence, you know, it, it ultimately falls on the commissioner, you know, that's, it's, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I he's agree. Char- he's charged with not <laughs> enforcing uh fair play in this instance. Selig, was a baseball fan, uh, first and foremost. Uh, and it's hard. You know, I, I really didn't like Selig for a long time. Uh, but he was first, foremost, and always a baseball fan. Uh, he was the one that made things like the Hank Aaron Award. And uh, he was the one that established the RBI program. Uh, all of these things. Um, you're... The commissioner of the NFL makes $15 million a year. His job is to make the the owners more money. $40 million a well, year. Well, yeah, $40 million. What? I'm cheap. Okay. Well, it's just it's that much more outrageous when you consider right. <laughs> how I mean, awful he's done. Yeah, it, it is. And that's why the NFL is stupid. Anyway. Well, I'm not going to say anything. The NFL <laughs> is a wholly different ballgame. Correct. It's not a ball game. Yeah. Well, um, I'll say this in the in the ultimate of positives. Um, though I was skeptical at first, the World Baseball Classic has been great, um, and that's something uh, that Sea League uh, uh, created. And, champion. I, I think. Champion. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing we're saying that uh, I, I think uh, these uh, different types of um, international. Uh, competitions that should be there should be more of them and they should be there more emphasis should go into those uh, I hope 
that Manfred is able to um, champion that a little bit more. Yeah, and and, and as I far think it's good for baseball. As far as uh, I agree entirely, as far as the international game is concerned, do you give a lot of credit to Sea uh, League, considering that it was in his tenure that you have the the Japanese influx, starting with Nomo, and uh, the Dominican influx, and you know now as we're transitioning into this large Cuban influx, do you give credit to Sea League for a lot of that, or do you think it's just the the scouting and the the, the teams themselves? Um, expanding the game on their own. Um, I'll give Selig a ten percent. Ten percent. Yeah, I mean, That's yeah, great. he's had some uh, influx on that, but I think it is a changing of times. So the whole Cuba stuff that has that's political, you know, as to why we are able. Uh, this political influx now. True. Well, you can argue that it was it was the World Baseball Classic that allowed a you know that put emphasis on you know you watch those those uh, Cuba teams playing in the WBC and it's like whoa, this is some serious talent. We didn't ever have any doubt that there was major league ball players in Cuba. Well, yeah, you, know, re- you know the the disaster that has happened in my life recently is I've had all uh, the the person that was head of disaster one uh the uh i was as i was taking out things from my condo and i was uh and he was saying what's that i said this is a bat of hank aaron's uh 700 uh, he signed this 715th bat and everything i said are you a baseball fan he said i'm cuban you know (laughs) which you know that was like of course i'm a baseball fan right And, and that was like okay all right. Yeah. And uh, um, finally, one last word on uh, Selig. Really, in, in his entire tenure, every baseball team either built a new stadium or renovated their stadium, with the loans exceptions of uh, Oakland and Tampa Bay. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. We've talked about this before. I do hope that Manfred puts some sort of decree or edict on those two teams to – either get a new stadium or move right. <laughs> one of well, the two. Well, Oakland has this weird agreement uh, that San Francisco kind of like dictates what, where, what they can do. I don't, I don't understand all of that, but yeah, uh, well, what, what it was, in, it was proposed at some point, or at least it was thrown out there that what if uh, Oakland was a joint tenant of uh I might be thinking about the Raiders, but like, it, like Oakland would be a joint tenant of Pac Bell Park or AT and T Park. Did you ever see that? Do you ever think the Giants would allow for that? No. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either at all. Period. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, we'll see. It'd be interesting to see uh, with Manfred going forward. Um, so far, I like everything he's done. Yeah, I, I do. I, I seem like his attitude toward the game yeah his demeanor he's a baseball person that's for sure so well coach as always thank you very much good luck on your nomadic trails is it safe to say you won't be living in that condo ever again no it's not safe to say that but uh, i don't even i don't even want to go there well we'll 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 leave it there we'll leave it there well thank you to all those listening out on soundcloud and on itunes as always check us out on facebook and follow us on twitter with at running the base for jordan bounds this is tucker wells we're coming into home and it's safe have a good night good night tucker
Good night, coach.